Happy Thanksgiving week. College football's finest are competing in a huge week. CFP still up for debate. Hi, I'm Yogi Roth, joined by Ted Robinson and Michael Molinari. This is Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure. We take you all around the Pac-12 conference, talking football, life, humanity, and much more. And we got a lot to talk about this weekend, fellas. We came off the big game, and now we got another big one with the Civil War. So, Ted, I'll start with you. Your thoughts about the big game, calling it, and now heading into this weekend. Look, the three of us were involved Saturday, and and I will speak for both of you now for the first time ever, right, Michael? Mm-hmm. That, that No, that, this is why we do this. Come on. And, and I think anybody listening to us gets that. I'm not shocking you. You know, we watch a lot of games during the year. Obviously, Pac-12 Network, we have a ton of games in September. Generally, not very good games. That's the nature of non-conference football. So when we get conference games that are competitive, as we've had quite a few this year, those are wonderful. And then when it's a rivalry game on top of it, that's just, that's what we live for. And uh, I know we've both felt it, all three of us rather, felt the aftermath. You hear from people that don't otherwise talk to you all year long about the game. And I was at an event involving Olympians in Los Angeles Sunday night, and many of them represent the two schools that played in the big game. And I was surrounded, I mean, by far the most reaction I've ever had for any single football game in the eight-year history of our network, right? It was what I had Sunday. But it was from the people of those two schools because they care so much. And the same, I'm sure, was for the USC and UCLA side. It'll be for the other rivalry games coming up this Saturday. It was special. And look, to see, I don't know, what would you say, guys? 5,000 Cal fans on the field at Stanford celebrating after the game. You know how much that means to Cal, how much that stings. You know, you know, Yogi, you played. That stings even worse or equally as bad as losing the game is watching them celebrate on your field, right? Yeah, that was that was a really cool sight to see. Uh, Michael, from, from your lens, you know, Ted and I are up however many feet up in the booth watching that go down. What was it like in the truck? It was exciting, even with, uh, I won't call us jaded, but, but there's a lot of people that have seen a lot of stuff, but Everybody in that truck was glued and caught up in the emotion of it in a good way. I mean, I always say the stare down never lets you down. And the students staring at each other, not watching the game. The last time that happened, this is my, was my fourth big game. The last time there was a stare down where the game was still in question, 2009, when Andrew Luck threw his interception. And this year, the kids are staring at each other. They don't look at the field. They're not allowed to. And Garbers go strolling into the end zone for the, you know, the game winning score. And it was just it was it was really cool. That juxtaposition never gets old. I hope I get to do numerous more big games in my career because it is it always delivers. Oh, that's good. All right. But we're going to get to our four downs here in the humanity moment of the week. But, Michael, I want to uh, double back on you on this. I'd love you to take people inside the truck because there were some brilliant moments. And, you know, we talked about it before, you know. This was trending on Twitter during uh, Saturday afternoon, and a large part of it was Ted's call when Chase Garbers went for his long touchdown run to win the game. How do you shape the story from the truck when that's happening at a home stadium for the team that didn't score that game winner? Because it, it was told so beautifully. I probably watched it 20 times. It was just so fun to watch that final moment happen for Cal on offense. One of the fundamental things to know as the producer is, do you have any more breaks this quarter? So we were out of breaks and I know that sounds silly, but yes, it does. But because we're out of breaks, I know I don't have to do a replay until after the extra point. Cause we're going to have 45 seconds to tell that story in, with the replays and with emotion and reaction, the tape stuff. 
So what I was saying to Ted, actually, before we get on this call, I said it was a perfect moment because Barky, Scott Barky, our director, and Ted got to do their thing. And I, I even hit you in Talkback, Yogi. And I said something like, don't worry, all the replays coming. And you're like, I'm not going to say a thing right now. And so you and I, the producer and analyst, that is not our time. That is the director and play by play. And frankly, Ted lays out and it's the director and the crowd. Amen. That's why it was that's so right. special. And that's so, great, Mike, Michael. That's right. Because that's the props. You're right. Scott and our crew. That's that's their moment to shine. Stay out of the way. So that's what mm-hmm. I, I learned. I've learned it takes a while to learn that as a producer to just stay out of the way. And I thought we did a great job. And then once we were, the extra point happens, we know we have that time. I thought the sequence was nailed and we had plenty of time to do it. I wouldn't change a thing in that sequence that we did after that score. Okay, so Ted, there's a lot of young broadcasters who listen to this or even current broadcasters and the moment, right? That that big moment is one that broadcasters, maybe you you dream about it. I'm not sure. But how do you approach situations like that because you were nails man i mean i was sat in awe just listening to you but i bet a lot of people are curious how to handle and give something the magnitude it deserves well look that's gracious yogi thank you and uh and i do mean what i just said i mean that's we have a spectacular crew that we know and so for scott barkey our director and all of the other i can't name everybody but for everybody else that works technically on our crew that's their time and they capture everything with the pictures um, it was, I haven't had a chance to go back and watch it yet. Um, I will find football in 60 on the network and, and do that. But anyway, that's, that's what you know. And so, yes, what Michael said is right. There is a moment you have to, at least in my prior experiences with, uh, the great tennis championships, you know, those are probably the most important championships and a few football NFL games, but those have been radio where you do have to say something you can't just lay out on radio um, but the TV formula is to maybe have a sentence, maybe two, if it really fits, but then shut up. Same thing. And that's kind of what I tried to do with the Garbers thing was you have a sentence and then just shut up for a minute and let the pictures and let the crew tell the story. And then there's a, you develop a feel. There's a moment to come back in. You don't stay out for four and a half minutes either. That's wrong. There's a moment to come back and the moment then to set you up to talk about why, what just happened. Uh, did and the other back the other point is we talk about this all the time and it's now a cliched phrase but this is a moment for storytelling and there's different kinds of stories okay there's backstory and journey and path and all that thing and those are things you do in the first quarter and the second quarter and then when it gets down to that point in the game it's the story of to me it's about the history of this this moment this rivalry the fact that this quarterback if he does it against you know, Arizona to win a game, it'll be cool, but it's not going to be remembered. The fact he does it against Stanford will make him part of Cal's football legend. It will for forever. His winning drive and that winning run will be remembered every year for one week. And that's the point is to understand that and to understand how painful it is again for the other side that, you know, Stanford hasn't lost very much in recent years. They haven't lost the big game. They haven't lost very much period. Well, they're having a tough year this year. And then to have it happen on their home field kind of rubs salt in the wound. So to know that history was great. It presents, quite frankly, more of a challenge for me this weekend because I don't have that backstory history in the Civil War. Yeah, I know, but I don't. I haven't lived through as much of it as I have big game history. 
Oh, that's really well said. Okay, we're going to get into that. We were calling the Civil War this weekend on the Pac-12 Networks. It's going to be a blast. The pregame show is there. We'll be there post-game, Ted. We'll be kicking it on set. It's going to be a blast. Uh, but that being said, we'll get there in a minute. I want to get to our first down because it is the story in, I think, college football, not just west of the Mississippi here, Utah. Utah Utes, man. There you are. Dominating people. They're playing as good a defense as I've seen in my entire life in college football. They got a boatload of NFL players, and they got Colorado at home. It's a huge game. It's the stage that everybody needs to see on ABC, 430 Pacific, against Colorado and LaVisca Chennault. Curious for you, Ted, what do you think about Utah and what you've seen in their chances to advance? Yeah, this is this is great timing because it's, it's amazing. You, you, you've Positioned it that way, yo. Because last, as I said, as we're talking last night, Sunday night of the week, I was at an event in a totally different sport, but with probably three dozen Olympic athletes, and a lot of them have gone to colleges. A lot of them went to Stanford and Cal, but another huge school is Georgia, and one of the Olympic swimmers last night, who um, swam at Georgia and still trains at, in Athens, Georgia came over and started a conversation with you about, about the, the, the fact that Oregon lost, you know, that Georgia, if, if Georgia beats LSU, they'll get in even with their one loss, which I do, even though it's going to hurt the PAC 12, I agree with that. If that happens, if Georgia beats LSU in the championship game, but then he said to me, and what worries me is that if Georgia loses to LSU, that Alabama is going to get in. And that's when I screamed, no, you can't say that. And he goes, man, he says, I'm telling you, if, if Georgia loses, Alabama, you now assuming Alabama beats Auburn in their game, this uh, the Iron Bowl this weekend, that Alabama would get in. And I said, I will just give up. If that happens, if either Utah or Oklahoma, by the way, if a one-loss Power 5 conference champion gets bypassed for a team that already played its championship game and lost, Alabama lost to LSU. That was their SEC championship game, right? And it was on their home field, by the way. And they lost. They don't get in. And then you piled to me on top of what you talked about. Utah's defensive presence has been phenomenal. And I'm trying to find it as we talk. Their red, look at the number of red zone trips they've allowed this year. It's crazy. I believe it's less than two per game, which is a sickeningly effective measure to me of a team's defense. You just don't move the ball on them. And so for a team like Colorado, for example, the one shot Colorado is going to have this weekend to me is going to be, hey, that somehow LaVisca Chenault can break off three explosive, like 60-plus plays in a game, right? And then Utah makes two grievous turnovers deep in their own end. Things that haven't happened to Utah this year. If, if, if that doesn't happen, Utah wins, and now they're playing Oregon with the big pie in front of them. So, Michael, I'm wondering, you know, you've been around the college football for a long time. The, let's talk about the brand conversation because I've been hearing a lot of that. Of well, the Utah brand isn't that strong. I was texting back with somebody who covers our conference uh, with great detail last night, and he made the brand argument. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are around the brand and the the, the hundred and what is 150 years of college football, or this year and 2019 and the brand of Utah today. Well, I'd say one thing: when Utah got their shot a decade ago. It didn't matter what their brand was. They they delivered, <laughs> number one. Number two, is Utah one of the four best teams in college football is really all that should matter when the selections are made. And 
it hurts. It hurts that Oregon's going to have at minimum two losses when they play, um, if they can get by Colorado. So obviously Utah's got to look at at this game, which I'm sure Coach Winningham has them looking at. I have no concerns about that. Um, so I I believe that I think Utah's offense is too strong for Colorado's defense, and that eventually, regardless of what happens uh, uh, with. You know, LaVisca could get a few scores for sure, but I think Utah's offense is going to be too much for Colorado's defense no matter what happens. So I think they're going to get to that championship game with one loss. And I think if by the eye test, is that what you say, Yogi? The eye test, Colorado is one of the best four teams in college football. Yeah. But will that be enough with what you said, the brand and all the other factors that go in? So, Yogi, you've been there. What, what do you think about this? Yeah, well, I, I so when I did the CFP committee, they gave you this big binder, and I'm kind of just looking at it. And you, I look at like the the people they've they've said this every year that when it's close, they trust the most respected quote unquote football voices in the room, right? People that have played or coached, right? So now we're looking at this list. Ronnie Lott's on that. R.C. Slocum is on that. Former A&M coach Frank Beamer is on that. I mean, those are like three big time college football football icons hall of fame you know personalities that get the game so i'd imagine they'd lean on them a lot in this instance to me with oregon losing i have two thoughts one for for where utah stands off of that it, it shouldn't impact them in my eyes you know utah's playing great the fact that oregon didn't you know struggled at least in the second and third quarter and half of the fourth that's not utah's problem you know why should they be penalized because another team didn't play the football that we've been accustomed to seeing. So I think that's number one, because there's a ton of arguments. Oh, Oregon lost, Utah's done. Well, what does that have to do with anything, right? And when we really look at what we're trying to accomplish here in terms of top four teams in the country. Second thing is, to me, because Oregon lost, Alabama is out of the conversation. Because the Auburn-Oregon thing, I didn't agree with the argument anyway. A few people did. A bunch of people didn't regarding the week one loss and comping that to the final week of the season and a potential Alabama win. Two different teams at that time within their respective seasons from a personnel standpoint, health standpoint. You could say the same thing about everybody involved, Oregon, Auburn, and Alabama. So to me, them losing takes that argument away. So now I think that it's the one-loss conference champions, Ted, that you reference. So it's Oklahoma-Baylor. They're going to play in the Big 12 championship. Beating a team twice in the same season, let alone I believe it would be the same month or four-week span, is difficult if Oklahoma can do that. Then you have to look at the teams and how they're built and how they've played this year. Oklahoma has not been the Oklahoma of years past that got to the college football playoff. They haven't shut teams down defensively, which is a trait normally in the Big 12, let alone air raid teams. And offensively, probably more importantly, they haven't been nearly as consistent as they've been, or I would say dominant as they were with Baker Mayfield and uh, Kyler Murray. So I then go to the football people in the room. And I just trust, and I've talked to people that you know every week, uh, the committee has conversations with every conference member. And when they talk to the conference members, they recognize how talented Utah is. So this is not like a Wazoo one-loss team last year at this time heading into the Apple Cup. This is not, you know, even like Baylor right now heading into the final week of their regular season of the Big 12 title game. I believe that they have a reverence for Utah and what they've done. And then if we want to just make one more point on Bama, they haven't beaten a ranked team either. So everybody's going to talk about that. They don't have one ranked win. So they're going to play a 15th ranked Auburn. Oregon is ranked higher, and I would imagine they will continue to be ranked higher than Auburn. So if we want to play that numbers game, 
then I believe that Utah's win over a higher-ranked Oregon team, if Oregon is to win this weekend and play with only one loss in the title game, even if you want to go by the metrics, it's advantage Utah for comparing them to Bama. And the, the Alabama thing just fries me no end, as you guys can tell. Uh, how do you reward a team for not making its own conference championship game? And it's already happened once. And that's what I can't fathom, that these people who would – ostensibly be protecting the integrity of college football could ever have that happen again. Assuming, now again, I'm assuming there are one loss alternatives, right? Be it, be it Georgia, if they were to beat LSU or be it Utah or be it, as you said, the big 12 champ that you cannot reward a team that does not even make its own conference championship. That I test to me equals cataracts. (laughs) I love that line. You know, just another nugget on that before we move on. Um, I think Georgia's defense is really good. Like, it wouldn't shock me if they won and beat LSU. You know, they're a talented defense. So if that happens, it's it's going to be chaos. And then we're going to, you're going to have to put eye test against quality wins. I mean, against the powerhouse conference brand element of LSU. I mean, if you're looking at the four best teams today, it, you know, we spin it, you know, a week from now, two weeks from now. It, it, it's going to be fun because I think it's going to be as close as we've seen. Because, you know, last year, I believe there were three undefeated. So it's pretty easy to get in. You know, this year, I don't think, I don't see Ohio State losing. I don't see Clemson losing. But what if that happens? And now all of a sudden we're talking about three conferences with one loss champions, let alone two teams from a conference that have one loss that didn't win the title in LSU and Alabama. And I think people are recognizing around the country that the SEC is not the dominant SEC top to bottom as it's been so there will it will to me get really fun around championship weekend if georgia happens to beat lsu and i I think it's fair to make some debates about the power of that conference they realize that everywhere but the sec country and bristol (laughs) yeah well look i got no problem i've gotten into it over the last week with all those guys and and i i got no problem with that i mean look we don't exist without the game and this is where i get on my high horse so to make to make assumptions based on history when we're literally only talking about 2019 season to me is irresponsible. And I think that's what happens with Twitter, which is fine because that's the lowest common denominator of human being, in my opinion, getting into those types of debates. But when we're talking about the 13 member committee, we're talking about people sitting on desks at ESPN or Fox or the Pac-12 networks or the Big Ten network or the SC network. Like you, you have a responsibility to look at this season and be honest about it. And Look, I, I get sometimes you get on the table for your team and your train, you're pumping them. But this year, it isn't that. It isn't that for us, at least. You know, we're not trying to make a shill of an argument for a team that hasn't looked the part. We're trying to just make people look at the part of Utah, really in all phases of their game, that that is special and is elite. And I think would compete against every team that is currently ranked higher than them, as well as anybody in recent history in the Pac-12. I, I, I go all the way back to probably the Oregon teams, because this Utah team is better than UW was a couple years ago when they made it to the playoff. I, and again, and I'll go back to where we started to back you up, Yogi, and just say this to me is about defense. And we all understand, we talked about it on this pod, Mel Tucker came in to Colorado this year talking about the perception of the Pac-12 around the country. Um, it's the Washington State Oregon State game, which was also an incredibly terrific game. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but a fabulously exciting game that the Cougs win in their own unique style at the end. 
but a totally different kind of football. And that's what doesn't get the respect around the country. Utah should is what I'm saying. The way, and I am, I'm sitting here searching in vain for that red zone defensive number and the PAC 12 website doesn't have it. Um, but the, the fact that put it this way, if you just look at Utah's defensive numbers, just hard data, I don't care who you play. That's outstanding. Those numbers are worthy. And that's where Utah has to make the strongest possible case. And well, I should say continue that case against Colorado and then against Oregon uh, is they play defense at that level. Then they should not be denied. Amen. All right. So let's get to the second uh, of our four downs. We'll fly through here. I know we spent a bunch of time on the first one, but uh, Michael, Civil War. When you got the call or email or text that we were calling this game in the final game of our season on the Pac-12 Network's initial reaction and expectation, you know, two weeks in a row now, rivalry games for you producing. Well, two rivalry games in a row is that's that's pretty exciting. I mean, I I think we had expected to be a Colorado Utah, which there was a bunch of stories there as well. But you have a rivalry game with Jonathan Smith, who has absolutely lifted this program and his, his time there and very quickly and really surprisingly. And I mean, I think they have behind Luton and Hodgins. I think they have a legitimate chance to possibly pick apart Oregon secondary like ASU did last week. And I think this is going to be a game. Put that against Justin Herbert, the kid who grew up in the shadow of Watson stadium, his final game there. Also Herbert has not played, never has played in the Rose bowl has not played in the Pac-12 championship game. He will play in the championship game, but there's still a legacy left for him. And I think, remember, he made the choice to come back for a senior year because he enjoys this game. And I really think there's a lot of great stories around this game. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to probably, hopefully, a game like we had last week, competitive to the end. I think it's really possible. That's great. Ted, we've talked all year how we've wanted to see Oregon live and Oregon State. You know, we, we've been the Oregon State Network the last couple of years and we haven't had them all season long. What are you most looking forward to watching two senior quarterbacks who really are playing the best ball of their lives this, you know, in the entirety of this season? Yeah, that's it's fascinating. So I'll dive in a little bit to the question you asked me earlier as an announcer. It's a really hard week. This is unfortunate because you get a rivalry game, which is going to have a ton of eyeballs, especially in the Northwest. And we haven't seen either team all year. And that's frustrating. So that makes the prep week much more difficult than normal. Once we get there, you're going to be swallowed up as we were at Stanford this past week. You'll swallowed up by the emotion because the game means a ton, especially to the Beebs, oddly. I mean, this is a game we all expected to mean a ton to Oregon. Right now, it's Oregon State wanting to get a bowl game, right? Having had two games, you talked Yogi about it, Hawaii early in the year. And by the way, your boy Rolovich is playing for the Mountain West Championship. Um, and then... Uh, uh, the game was passed Saturday night in Pullman, two games that they just let go at the end. And it's frustrating. Um, it's it, we, we now understand Jonathan Smith is going to go for it on just about every fourth down. And, uh, you know, it's a statement. It's a very clear statement of how he feels about the balance of his team. So, okay, that, so be it. I hope he has a great chance to go for it on fourth down this Saturday. It'd be awesome if a game and the Civil War and a bowl game are riding for him. And, uh, and Oregon, as Michael just elucidated, everything that, that they have going for him. So um, I, I'm, fat, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, Oregon State's offense that we saw flashes of start last year. But Luton didn't play the whole year last year. And they had some players, you know, they, they had some guys at quarterback that probably weren't Pac-12 level. Well, now they, Luton is. He's a Pac-12 level guy. He's had a heck of a final year. Um, it's 
Jonathan Smith laying this, the same sort of foundation. I'm going to guess yoga, not precisely the same way, but maybe the same sort of foundation we've seen Justin Wilcox put down at Cal. And, uh, and man, when, when you win the game, Justin Wilcox right now, he's mayor of Berkeley. I mean, I can just tell you from Sunday and today, he's the mayor of Berkeley. Jonathan Smith will be the mayor of Corvallis. He can win this game. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I think I think it was Bobby Bowden who said, when you take over a program, usually you lose big, then you lose small, then you win small, and then you win big. If you look at a four-year fundamental basic trajectory, and that's been them this year, right? They've lost small. You referenced the Hawaii game. You can kind of go up and down their schedule. The Stanford one, obviously, was tough. They win a tight one against UCLA. Uh, you know, they've been in some battles. They win a tight one against Cal. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to this. I think, Michael, you're on it. Like They're, they're going to spray the ball around. They're going to challenge this defense, especially this back end. Jake Luton's going to play confident. I think this team will play confident. And I think in a game where no one's giving them a chance, Jonathan Smith will cut it loose, right? Do we see an onside kick, the first kick of the game? You know, when do we see some trick plays? And then it'll be fun to watch Oregon. Do they play tight? You know, do they get beat twice, right? Is it the hangover from the CFP, the Natty, all the expectations? They went on such a run. You know, nobody in the Pac-12 history has gone undefeated in conference play. They were on the verge of it. They went down on the road, which seems like Tempe is kind of doing that to teams. You look at the history of that place. Washington went down a couple years ago. Oregon went down last weekend. Uh, so I'm jacked. I can't wait to get there and talk to the staff and talk to Mario Cristobal, how he's curated the bounce back mentality within his team. Okay, so let's get to the third one of our third downs. Guys, I was with the SC staff last night. I uh, was the MC of their awards banquet. Mike Bone was there. Clay Helton was there. There was an incredible vibe. There were 700 people at this banquet. Like, there's usually 150. 700 people were there, uh, and they were jacked, and everybody was on board the Clay train, right? Winning five of their last six games. They only lose four players on the entire team, fundamentally. Some guys love some decisions, but I project all the ones that do will return for their senior year. Ted, what do you think about SC, the way they finished? Slovis sets an all-time USC passing record in a single game. You picked the scab, Yogi. <laughs> I'll, I'll lead off. It's funny because Yogi shares with me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an old school guy. I like to hold the newspaper in my hand, so I just have uh, yesterday's and today's Los Angeles Times in my hand because I just got back to my house. And I'm, I'm just floored because there's a, a picture in the LA Times of, uh, I guess it's yesterday, of Clay Helton walking off the field and one columnist. I mean, apparently the LA Times is just, their sports staff has already decided Clay Helton should be changed. I don't understand why, but that's pretty clear when you read everything in there uh, that they write. But the picture is Clay Helton walking off the field with the AD after they've just won the rivalry game, right, with huge numbers. To go eight and four, to keep alive, they're, they're, they have a shot to be in the championship game, right? They still have some crazy shot to actually play in the Rose Bowl. And the story is that the coach that walked off the field losing, that is four and seven, is safe. And the coach that went eight and four is on the axe. And that the coach that's four and seven may have contributed to the coach that went eight and four to be removed. So I'm not sure what world that makes sense in. It sure doesn't make sense in my world. And, and you know, I say that with no, no naivete. I understand totally what the deal is here. But I just, again, whether it's the new president uh, at USC who has comes in with everything I see, incredible credentials, a high reputation for integrity, uh, and the new athletic director that you would now, Yogi, you could speak to. I've never met 
Mike Bone, so I don't know him. But they need to make a statement very quickly. What does USC football want? Okay, Clay Helton is Clay Helton got the job over Ed Orgeron, which people forget, right? With with all the news Ed Orgeron's in college football this year, the choice was Clay Helton over Ed Orgeron, and a large part of it, and I know this, was the 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 really the the feeling that the players in the team had. The players at that time loved Clay Helton. Not a separate group of players, but I don't see any indication that that's changed. Uh, what does USC football want? And if they just are willing to say, we'll sell everything to go and be in the CFP, then they should just stand up and say it so that everybody who buys a ticket knows it. And every uh, obviously the new coach coming in would know it. And you understand that there's going to be a massive financial cost to that. Because if you do change, you're paying one coach to go home and going to pay another coach an extraordinary amount to come in. So these are all things people understand. But I get, and as you know, I'll finish on this. I get extremely annoyed this time of year by media, by our business, and I'm one of it, but I don't participate in this because I've seen it too much on the other end. When you scream to fire a coach, you're screaming for 50 people to lose their jobs. Yeah, That's what happens, right? When a college football coach or an NFL coach gets fired, you can have up to 50 people lose jobs. And it's holidays. And again, they all understand to some level the occupational hazard. I just really detest the out and out screaming. I have family members who do it myself so to me. So I, I do it with my own family members. I tell them to back off on that stuff because there's just too much of a human toll that goes into this. Yeah, very well said. Uh, I will co-sign on that wholeheartedly because the job that Clay's done to rebuild the culture and everybody always goes to his record without Sam Darnold. And I'm like, yeah, well, there's a flip side of that. It was with two true freshmen. And oh, by the way, this year, he went to his third quarterback and fifth running back. I mean, everybody has injuries, but nobody necessarily has had him at the key positions like SC. So I think I'd pick them to win the conference South at least next year. So I hope they keep him. I think we'll find out, obviously, after the Utah-Colorado game because they got to say something based on recruiting. Um, so real quick, uh, Michael, I'm going to hit you on our fourth down here. For you, What your biggest surprise of the season heading into the last weekend has been what? Without question, the team we've been talking about for the last half hour, the Oregon State Beavers. I don't think anybody that went to a team meeting last year, talked to the coaches, was at just in the presence of that program, thought they would be able to turn it around so quickly. It's been great to see. Ted, you got one? Uh, you know what? I, I'm going to reach back to something we heard Friday. This is football related. David Shaw talked to us about how impressed he was after seeing Anthony Gordon firsthand. Right. Remember that in the meeting. And Anthony Gordon goes out and has another spectacular night. I mean, Washington State playing arena football, but they play it well. Give them credit. And and Oregon State, they win this crazy game Saturday when, just like arena football, if you're playing Washington State, you better have the last possession. And I'm guessing that's what Jonathan Smith thought when he went for it on fourth down. Instead, Washington State gets the last possession, and and they win the game. And my goodness, to hear David Shaw, who was, no longer has a horse in that race, speak so uh, you know, highly of what, and how impressed he was by Anthony Gordon, after seeing him firsthand. I thought that was a great moment. Yeah, I, I agree with both of those. Part of me wants to go to like Howie Fishing and how well Tyler Huntley's playing, but I'm going to go real quick on LaVisca Chenault, that he could have shut it down. He had every excuse to shut it down, but he continues to compete, had 100 yards receiving, uh, seven grabs over the weekend, big plays all day. And, and this guy could have said, you know what? I'm going to be a first-round pick, or I'm going to just shut it down for the league. And, and he didn't. He's competing for his team. So that's my biggest surprise so far, which will then, Michael, lead into our humanity moment of the week heading to the final regular season is what? 
there's this little toy camera called the Osmo, which is basically a, uh, it's called a gimbal, which means that it steadies the camera. So as many of you who grew up in Ted and my era with the old, the old cam cord, and you call it like the garden hose, where people would take pictures of their kids playing and outside, but everything would be bouncing around. You'd almost get nauseous watching. Well, this thing called the Osmo basically steadies a shot and you can kind of make a little a little move or follow some action, basically just holding the camera on a little stick. And it's so easy to use that I started to go out and shoot some scenics of campus and different things, which allows our crew to do the important things, set up the show, do other things, and lets me get out there a little bit on campus. So anyway, that's kind of the setup to it. So at the big game, I went out and I wanted to find that iconic house divided shot. So literally five minutes from our truck was a family half were from cal half were from stanford all grads they had a a little uh carpet mat that said house divided they had shirts half stanford half red half yellow they had the dog i mean it was perfect so i asked them hey would you like to be on tv today and they said absolutely so i set the shot up we take about two or three minutes i make a move because of the sun and i hit record and I did not have the disc in the camera. So it's, I was absolutely mortified. And I said, oh, you're not going to believe this, but the dumb producer forgot the film for the camera. So they're like, oh, no problem. So I had to run back to the truck, full sprint. I got back to them about five minutes. And I thanked them for their patience. They were great. I took the shot again. This time I had the film. And we used it going to break in our first break. And uh, so that was my, that's my humanity moment. I learned some humanity. I appreciated the patience of the subjects of the shot. And I learned some humility and some humanity myself. Yogi, when you were coaching and your receiver dropped the ball four times on the same route, right? What'd you do? You weren't very happy, right? War was not very happy. So Molinari hasn't learned. I mean, it's like the eighth time this has happened to him. Come on. I think three. (laughs) <laughs> but I got the shot, Ted. I delivered. I delivered. Thanks to their patience. Uh, and yeah. then the best part, Yogi, was when Michael comes back, living up to the true stereotype of the Cal-Stanford rivalry. The Cal fan gives him a Trumer Pills, and the Stanford fan gives him a nice bottle of Chardonnay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've got the best jobs in the world. Oh, I love it. That was great, Michael. We appreciate it. We're going to come back next week. We're clearly going to be doing a uh, season recap and a preview of the Pac-12 title in Santa Clara. Can't wait to talk about that. And of course, Ted will be there in person. It's going to be a great time. Fellas, we got a big one to prep for. It's Thanksgiving weekend. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your families. And can't wait to see you in Eugene. Hey, happy gobble day, everybody. Yogi, make Zane break the wishbone with you, okay? Let's go. Yeah, the vegan wishbone. We got it. No there problem. you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. All right, love you guys. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.